Father, by your Holy Spirit, would you open our eyes so that we may see Jesus, your Son, through your words and believe. Amen. I forgot about this. Just give me a sec. Right. I'm guessing that most of you have uh, a phone, a, a smartphone, I suppose. I don't know if anyone is still using Nokia, the indestructible phone. Oh, respect, respect. Uh, <laughs> uh, according to a recent survey, the average person in the UK uh, now takes 884 photos a year. And out of 884 photos of the year, uh, you guys probably takes, take about 468 selfies each year. But that's nothing compared to the Americans. Ooh, sorry. Uh, in average, that, that's what the survey says, in average they take 20 photos a day. And that's more than eight times more than how many photos we take. Respect. <laughs> uh, I still remember the day I first um, picked up photography. Oh, let me see. Yeah. Um, I was doing some research on the internet, and I, and I got distracted by, by a really stunning photo taken by a professional photographer. So I thought to myself, oh, I want to take photos like that. I want to capture the moment. Um, so I borrowed a film camera from my friend and started to shoot photos. And that was before the smartphone era. Uh, you want to take a photo? You get a camera. Soon I realized photography is an expensive hobby. Because uh, you've got to buy the films. And after you shoot through a raw film, you need to get them developed. And then either you have those films uh, scanned, so you get, get them stored digitally, or you print them out onto uh, photo papers. And so I did some calculation. Each time I press the shutter, guess how much that cost me? That's about 50p every time I press the shutter. That's how expensive that is. Um, and if you want to use the burst mode on some of those nicer cameras, you know, like take those continuous shots, so that's like That's five, five pounds gone, just like that. <laughs> so. So I sold my um, film camera and saved for a whole year and got a digital camera instead. Um, so th there's a term that you'd hear photographers say, photographers, photographers say all the time. Um, you gotta capture the light. Uh, it's all about lighting. To take a photo, you need light to shine on the environment or on the object that you're taking. Um, you're trying to capture. And without light, all you see, all you get is a black image of nothing. So to capture the moment, to take a beautiful picture, light is your friend. The more you know about your light sources, the better your photos will be. Uh, very often we re read from the Bible. The Bible says, God is light. And, and since Jesus frequently told us that he is that same light. Let's look at what John has to say about this light um, and see if we can better understand uh, this constant and ever-shining light source 
in those concluding thoughts and words of Jesus' public ministry. So firstly, let's look at how the light is life-giving, but it's also, it also blinds eyes. But, but wait, do you remember Ruth when she was reading for us? Uh, you came to verse 40, and it seemed a little strange. Verse 40 seemed to suggest that God is the one blinding people's eyes and hardening their hearts so that they wouldn't believe in him. What's that all about? Is God being unfair? Is he being, being harsh? And it, might be, it might seem that way um, when we read those verses. Maybe let's take a, take a step back and use, use the sun in our solar system as an example. Sadly, there's no sunlight anymore now after the daylight saving. Uh, because the Bible uses the sun to describe God quite often. And because it is such a powerful light source, our sun in the solar system, it gives heat, it gives life, and makes things grow. And here comes the problem. If you want to look at the sun, to learn more about the sun, the strong sunlight hurts your eyes. In fact, sunlight can blind your eyes if you stare at it for too long. So how can we look at the sun? Now, I remember back in my school days, uh, whenever a solar eclipse happens, it's often the best time uh, the teachers would take the, the kids out to, to watch the sun. But even with a full, a full solar eclipse, you, you, you still don't watch the sun directly uh, looking to the sky. Um, you have to either get um, like polarized lenses or negative films. You have to look through them. But then still you don't, you don't look through those lenses or, or, or shades to the sun. You, you look, maybe you get a bowl of water and put black ink to the water. So you look through those protective lenses through onto the surface of, of the bowl of water to, to see the sun. That's how powerful the sun is. Otherwise, your retina will be flooded by, by sunlight, by UV light, and, and your tissues open in a very short time. So when we compare the sun with God's glorious light, the Bible describes that even the sun will be darkened one day. But God's light remains forever. In Exodus chapter 33, Moses asked God to show his glory to Moses. And God said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. So back to, to verse 40 of our passage. If God is so dazzling, and there's no way we can look at him or to get to know him, how then can we turn to him and be healed? Is there any hope for anyone? And you are also smart. You all know the answer already. Jesus, too shy. He's just like, Jesus. Uh, here's where Jesus comes in. Uh, in the Gospel of John, Jesus tells people repeatedly that he is that light. And he came into our world to give light to this world. So whoever believes in the light, Jesus, may become children of light and will no longer 
walk in darkness. Um, what John talked about here reminded us a story he told earlier in, in chapter 9, um, Jesus healing that born blind. So after he healed that man who was born blind um, and opened his eyes, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, were really angry. Not because his eyes were open, but because Jesus healed the man on Sabbath day, uh, the day when people should all rest and refrain from working. Now, the blind man had said to the Pharisees who interrogated him, he says, don't you see who on earth has ever opened the eyes of a blind man? Look at me. It really is me. I really am the one who was born blind. But now I see. Sorry, I just touched the wrong thing. But yet, the Pharisees still argue whether the man is from God or not. They still question the guy who healed the born blind. All because Jesus healed that guy on the Sabbath day. John chapter 9 verses Verse 39. Sorry, I went too fast before. Cool. Um, we heard Jesus say, For judgment, I came into this world so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. You see, in the gospel, those who see are always those proud ones who think themselves righteous and that they are following rules that makes God happy. So there's no need for, for a redeemer for them. Um, there's no need for a savior to die for them. They didn't think they were held captive by sin. And that only the suffering and the death of the Son of God could pay the ransom for them. So the pride, their pride had kept them from admitting their the great need for Jesus and the salvation he offers. But Jesus says, um, back to our passage, verses 44 and 45, whoever believes in me does not believe in me only, but also believes in the one who sent me. Looking at me equals looking at the one who sent me. God is light. In him there is no darkness. When Jesus came to the world to be the light of the world, even though wrapped in his human body, Jesus was still the same light. He was no less glorious. He was as bright and shiny as ever. But he, he was born like one of us so that we could see God through seeing him. So for those who chose not to see Jesus, in a way, you could say, God's hardening of their hearts was a response to their own stubborn re rebellion against the light, against the grace and truth of God that had been revealed to them. See, God was willing to heal them, but because they refused to see God through seeing Jesus, thinking they are in the, in the right before God's glorious light, 
the result is that the light ended up blinding, blinding them and hardens their heart because they had first hardened their own hearts. And this is a tough doctrine to understand. And I'm still trying to get my head around it myself. So don't, don't feel discouraged if um, I just confused you even further. Um, the verdict is everyone should have all been blinded by the light because everyone has sinned. And everyone was con condemned into the darkness. But Jesus said, verse 46, I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. So are we the ones who welcome the light and believed everything Jesus said and therefore received the eternal life? Or those who are blinded and hardened who would not believe? Secondly, the light is glorious, but it's not preferred by everyone. So having confused us already, John goes on to further confuse us. Uh, verse 44, 42. Yet at the same time, many, even among the leaders, believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear they would be put out of the synagogue. So have, have they actually believed or not? Uh, what was that all about? Uh, let me tell you a story. In 1859, the famous acrobat Charles Blondin, I hope I pronounced that correctly, Charles Blondin <laughs> stretched the tightrope, 1,100 feet long between Canada and US, 160 feet above the mighty waters of the Niagara Falls. And he even fitted a special wheelbarrow for the rope and pushed it across, his famous tightrope walker. And the story is told that he once approached the cheering crowd and asked, asked who believed that he could put a man on the wheelbarrow and, and take him across. And the crowd began to cheer. Yeah, of course you can. We believe you. You're the man. You're awesome. And so Blondin pointed to a man in the crowd and said, yeah, you, would you like to jump on? Uh, I'll push you across. And the man just bolted the other way. <laughs> um, what was wrong? The man, the man might have believed that Blondin could put someone, some other person into the wheelbarrow but he wasn't willing to trust Blondin to take him across. Now, those who say they believed Charles Blondin only believed in knowledge, but they didn't believe him with their lives. Having said that, I, I actually think you guys are all people full of faith. And why, why do I say that? And looking at you, you guys are all sitting on, on those chairs, red chairs, and if you didn't believe those chairs could hold your weight, that, that they wouldn't fall apart. You wouldn't, you know, sit down without even checking the, the chair if, if it would hold you, and you just sit down. So you guys are full of faith. I'm moving on to verse 43. For they loved human praise more than praise from God. 
Uh, the word used in this verse for, for praise is actually glory. So in many other translations, English, English translations, they, they use the word glory. So they, they loved the glory that comes from other people more than the glory that comes from God. And even though the, the Bible, the New Testament was written in Greek, uh, those people who were reading the Greek Bible, were um, the majority of them were Hebrew. And the word glory in Hebrew has the meaning of weight, heaviness, weightiness. And so it was used to express the worth of a person, to express the idea of importance, greatness, honor, splendor, power, and so on and so forth. So if, if we are children of, of light, we are truly wrapped around by God's glorious light. How splendid was that? But verse 43 says, they loved human praise more than praise from God. They wanted to be accepted by their peers. They care more about human recognition. Nice things said about them more than God's approval, more than the glory God shares with them. John says in John um, 5:44, How can you believe since you accepted, accept glory from one another, but do not seek the glory that comes from the one, from the, from the only God? So I guess John was saying they weren't really believing after all. They might have seen and acknowledged that Jesus was so cool, he could do amazing things, but they didn't and they wouldn't trust Jesus with their lives. They loved the glory of men. They did not love the glory of God. Back to the story of the blind man John told earlier. So after questioning, questioning the blind man, the Pharisees, they still, still didn't believe he was born blind. So they, they, got, they summoned his parents um, to question them about this blind man, this ex-blind man, asking them to prove that he was indeed born blind. So they asked them, is this your son? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? And the parents answered, we know he is our son. We know he was born blind. But how, how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him, he, he's old enough. He will speak of, for, for himself. Um, John told us his parents had said that, said that because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. They were afraid that if they admitted, they would also chuck them out of the synagogue. So having witnessed the eyes of their own son opened, they would not believe. Now back to chapter 12, verse 43. They loved human praise. Now, you all, you all know Greek language has different words for love that we have adapted in, into um, English language. Like um, philosophy, you get uh, love, love of wisdom, so the, the friendly kind of love. And then you have eros, the erotic love. But the, the word, the, the love word that John chose uh, in this verse to describe their love for people's praise. He used the word agape, agape love. 
It's, the word is usually used to describe God's unconditional love for us, um, the kind of love that asks nothing for return. So John was telling us that they loved people's approval. They loved people's praises. They loved the glory coming from other people unconditionally. It's quite a strong love. So do you think those leaders described in verse 42 truly believed in Jesus? What about us? Do we really believe in Jesus who saved us so that we are no longer walking in darkness? Or are we those who prefer and love human praises? I guess John had left that to our imagination. You be the judge of that. Thirdly, the light has come to save, but it leaves behind evidence for judgment. Um, for those of you who love watching crime-related films or TV series, or if you are into law, you'll be familiar with this phrase. Uh, you have the right to remain silent. Anything you say will and can be used against you in a court of law. So that, that, that's the American version. The, the UK version is similar, but I think the American version sounds smoother. So that's why I use that. Um, and then in the witness box in a courtroom, before a witness gives his or her testimony, they will say, I do solemnly, sincerely, and truly declare and affirm that the evidence I shall give shall be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And the final thought John left for us, well, the final thought that Jesus left for us was a promise and a threat, a warning. Uh, it is a promise because of the enormous effort Jesus put in to help people to see the light. He even died on the cross for our sins so that whoever believes in him won't stay in darkness. However, Jesus was also well aware that not everyone wants to, exp to be exposed to light. Not everyone is happy when, when the light shines on their darkness, when the light exposes their sin. Um, earlier in John chapter 10, uh, verses 37 and 38, Jesus said, Do not believe me unless I do the works of my Father. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. Back to our passage, verse 47. Jesus says, I don't judge those who don't listen to me because I am not here to judge. Hint, hint, it's giving us hints. This is your time to hear, to heed my words. This is your time to re repent. Come on, guys. It's not too late. I'm here to save. But if people don't believe in me, verse 48, here's the warning. There will, there will come a time of judgment. Those who reject me, those who don't accept my words, they will be condemned by the words I have spoken. Imagine in, in a courtroom, the trial begins, and the defendants were giving all, so, they, they were giving all sorts of excuses of why they didn't believe in Jesus. 
Uh, we, we really didn't think Jesus was the Messiah. Uh, Jesus, Jesus was working on the Sabbath day. He's, he was no good example. Or, or they might say, oh, Jesus, Jesus was the one that's causing all the divisions. Jesus caused divisions, etc., etc. But Jesus said, verse 49 and 50, as the herald, as the messenger sent by, by the Father, all that I have spoken was exactly what God commanded me to say. Exactly, exactly the way God wanted those words said. And because of that, whatever I say equals to what the Father says. Anyone who hears me is one who hears the Father. And by the way, what God commanded me to say leads to eternal life. But those who chose not to hear my words, back to verse 48, equal to those who reject God. And since they rejected the words that lead to eternal life, anything else they held onto, anything that's not Jesus' word, won't lead them to eternal life. They are therefore condemned. So even though Jesus' intention and his mission was to come and save people, those who reject him reject the light, and therefore they remain in the darkness. Uh, to wrap up, let me share with you a story of my friend Andy, um, who I met in my first year at uni. Andy happens to also be a born blind uh, he is quite an interesting, interesting chap. chap. Um, I don't know if you have any friends who's blind. Um, they're usually quite good with this, the sense of um, distance and um, direction. So, so Andy, he's, he's very naughty. Uh, even though he, he could, could not see, um, this is like his superpower. He, he will often walk to the furthest corner of the university ground as far away as he could manage from, from his flat. So he, he walked to the other side of campus and pretended that he was lost. And then as he was you know, walking around looking lost, there were people who wanted to come and help him and said, oh, where, where do you live? Can, can I help you back, back to your, your place, your, your house? And so he will always kindly accept their offer. And as they walked back to his flat, he would use that opportunity to talk to, to them about Jesus. <laughs> so usually that's like a 15-minute walk. <laughs> um, so Andy, uh, he told me, uh, because he was born blind, he had no idea what, what light is like. Um, and therefore, he has no idea what darkness is like. Because his eyes had never... Um, nothing ever came through, so he, he, he couldn't comprehend what light or darkness was like. I just don't pick up anything. That's just how things were for him since he was born. But when he first encountered Jesus, he told me, he suddenly understood the concept of light and darkness because suddenly Jesus had exposed Andy's life to his light. And Andy saw, he saw the darkness in himself, in his heart. Andy told me that 
that when he decided to turn to Jesus and accept Jesus into his life as his Savior and Lord, he really could sense the light coming into his life and that he's no longer living in darkness. It was amazing, wasn't it? And I wonder if you have turned, like Andy, to Jesus, the life-giving light, and have your eyes opened so that you could see the light and come to know him? Or are you still living in darkness, your heart hardened and your eyes remain blind? I wonder if we are like those leaders who look like they believe in Jesus, but in reality and in practice, our faith is superficial at best. We love human praise more than praise from God. Or are we children of light who want to be faithful to God, even if all the world around us is in disapproval? If we have God's praise, that's all we need. And I wonder, when you, when you heard Jesus' word that gives eternal life, what are you doing with that? Jesus came not to judge, but to save. So, if you have not believed in his words yet, would you, at the very least, give some thought to what he had to say? Rather than simply ignore his words. Because if what he says gives life, the consequence of unbelief is unimaginable. Uh, let's have a moment of quiet to think about those questions, and I'll pray. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you once again for Jesus who came as the light of the world to open our eyes, to help us see you through seeing him. Thank you for Jesus who came to save us by dying on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. And that whoever believes in him will no longer walk in darkness. Help us to take your words seriously because they lead to eternal life. And help us with your spirit so that we can grow in our love for you and for your glory and not human praises. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.